Luke 23, uh, 32, right through to 24, 47. Let me find it myself. So this is just after Jesus' trial. Uh, He is being led out and it says this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one, let him save himself. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wines and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him, mocking him, saying, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, 3 p.m., and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Sorry, uh, from midday until 3 p.m. There was darkness over the land. While the sunlight failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned to their homes, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man called Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a man of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from the Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord, Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, dressed in white. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who had told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with one another as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, saying, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers crucified him, condemned him to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. To redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the whole scriptures concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which they were going. He acted as he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognised him. And he vanished from their sights. They said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood amongst them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marvelling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you whilst I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the th- and then on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Amen. It is uh, great to be back in Hull um, and back with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we, Jen and Hudson and I, we've been uh, away for uh, the last month uh, in South Africa. Uh, we were gathering with a number of leaders uh, Freedom Church is part of a, a wider group of churches called Regions Beyond, which is part of the New Frontiers uh, group of churches. Uh, and we were gathering with a number of our global leaders in uh, a place called Clarence, South Africa, uh, which is the free state on the border of Lesotho. Um, our family of churches actually started there uh, in, in this rural, uh, middle of nowhere place uh, in South Africa, in this farm. Uh, within the, again, within the family of New Frontiers, the church was planted uh, in the middle of nowhere and wonderfully from there God has gone to reach uh, the nation so that we are here in Hull um, as part of that family of churches and so when we gathered we were, we were sort of returning to our roots we really felt uh, recently that, that God is, uh, is calling us into a, a significant time as a family of churches some significant things ahead of us and things that God has put on our heart to do together and so we were gathering uh, almost uh, back to our roots as we looked ahead to those things that God was calling us to. And it was wonderful to, to be able to share some stories uh, with leaders from around the world, uh, stories that we are looking forward to sharing with you in the coming weeks. Um, but it was a, it's a significant time for us um, of, of, of prayer and of uh, preparation and of, uh, sh- again, sharing uh, stories from around uh, the world. Um, we gathered there with uh, Steve and Heather Oliver, some of you, uh, you will know these guys. Uh, uh, they uh, head up our family of churches, Regions Beyond. Steve has actually preached uh, digitally to us as a church, and uh, his story actually, we've got that on, online on our YouTube page. So if you wanted to, to hear a little bit more about the story of uh, those early days of Regions Beyond, you can go and you can hear that there. But I'd say it was a significant time, and it was for us a very encouraging and fruitful time, um, and as well. Tacked on to the end of that, we were able to visit some family. Uh, so Jen has family in South Africa that we were able to see, her brother and his family. And then um, on the way back, we swung by uh, Oman, Muscat Oman, where my mum and dad are there uh, leading our church as well. So we were able to, uh, to make the most of our trip. Um, some of you will know that whilst we were away, Hudson became quite ill. Um, so we spent three, uh, we arrived, uh, Hudson was, was a bit wobbly and we were kind of thinking, oh, is this just the time difference, you know, strange times, strange meals on the plane, all of this thing, but he very quickly uh, became very, very ill, hadn't eaten, his temperature was you know, hitting 39 uh, and we uh, were in hospital for three nights. Uh, and so we're just really grateful for all your prayers. Uh, I was back and forth from the hospital. Uh, in the next town over, which was where uh, uh, Hudson had to go, as there was no, uh, nowhere in, uh, in Clarence. So we, uh, we really value your prayers, and he's fully recovered. Thank you so much, everybody, for, for that. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it wasn't 
exactly what we would have planned for ourselves. It wasn't exactly the, the part of South Africa that we'd hoped to see, but he got good care and good prayer. And also, we just, we're really grateful for everyone for releasing us to be able to be away as we were, you know, uh, whilst also continuing this work here. You know, it's, uh, our being away was made so much easier in the knowledge that this is not something that is held by one or two, but, but it is a community thing. That's the picture of the church that the Bible gives. This is something that, that is given to a people, uh, for a people. So it's not just there is a minister and there's a, you know, no, we, we together, we, we minister to one another and we, we hold this work together and we equip one another and we serve one another. And so it was wonderful for us to be able to step away and to see that at work and to come back and to hear that that's exactly what's been going on. And so we were really grateful for, for you guys for uh, being able to release us in the way uh, that you have. And we're grateful to be able to make it back in time to celebrate Easter Sunday with you. He has risen. This, the, I'm going to teach you just a little bit of liturgy. We're not, uh, you may not have noticed, we, we are, we're not a very formal church here. But there is one piece of liturgy that I, that I love. And it's just this. He has risen. I say he has risen. You say he has risen indeed. So, he has risen. He has risen indeed. There's a wonderful story attached to that bit of liturgy, actually. It's in communist, uh, uh, I think, Russia, but behind the Iron Curtain. Um, the, the, the atheism is, is rife and it's uh, people are attacking the church. Um, one uh, church is still allowed to meet, but somebody from the government, a government man comes and he, uh, and he says, I'm going to be speaking this morning. And the, the minister says, that's okay, as long as I'm allowed to say three words afterwards. And uh, he speaks and he disproves God and he says this and this and this and this. And at the end of it all, he sits down satisfied with himself and the minister stands up and says, he is risen. And the church say, I don't know if that story is true. But it's a good story, whether it is or not. <laughs> but I, but I, I, yeah. But I love that piece of because I just think there is there is something in, in Easter that, that is uh, uh, that I just love the Easter morning. I mean, this morning I've been receiving WhatsApp messages from around the world, from from family, friends uh, who are together celebrating the the resurrection of Christ. Now, to anybody looking in, Easter is a strange thing to celebrate. It is a strange thing to celebrate, right? The, uh, like, what is this thing, right? The, the, the cross, uh, this, this, this ugly uh, form of torture that, that has somehow made it into the center of your joy and of your life as Christians. Right? The, it's just, it's odd, you know, the Romans put the cross uh, together, devised it, invented this thing as a way to be the, the height of, of horrific and humiliating death. They, there someone is hanging naked as a spectacle to everybody looking on. This is what we do if you cross us. This is, it is ugly, it is painful, it is torturous. And yet somehow it has made its way into the centre of human history, into the centre of the Christian faith, into the centre of our joy and our lives and our teaching. And so to anybody looking in, it's, it's weird. You know, I've heard people uh, talk about it as though, you know, they're kind of wearing the necklace or the, uh, the putting the cross up on your wall. Right? And that would be the equivalent of putting up the hangman's noose or the ele- an electric chair or kind of a, an image of a kind of a lethal injection. Like there's, it's, there is, a, there is a, a, like that's something that should recoil, if you understand what the cross is, that recoils at the image of it. And yet, there it is at the centre of our celebration. Interestingly, there are, there are a, lot of, a lot of people who would mock 
Jesus and would mock the cross and would mock us for, uh, for, for taking such joy in it. Uh, but in fact, uh, there is uh, one of the oldest images that we have of Jesus is a piece of graffiti uh, found in Rome. So it was discovered by archaeologists uh, in the early uh, 1900s. And it's there just scratched into the side of a wall and it's a picture of a donkey-headed man on a cross and a man stood underneath it worshipping. And the graffiti says, Alex of Menos worships his God. And it's just a mockery. It's like, look at this guy. Look, what kind of God goes and gets himself crucified? What kind of hero goes and does that? That's, that is the, the height of humiliation. And so for the guys insulting Christians at the time, all they need to do is point at the cross. Now, that is, there's, there's, you know, there's a sort of, as I say, the kind of, there's this modern idea that, hey, look, if we're making fun of Christianity, if we're, if we're teasing this thing, then we're on the cutting edge of something. And like, hey, no, no, join the herd. You, these guys have been doing it for, since the, the dawn of Christianity. This, this, this mockery has come. It's, you're not doing anything new. You're not doing anything cutting edge. No. The cross has always been an object of scorn and of humiliation. And yet here it is. Now Paul, as he's writing to the uh, Corinthians, he says, he says, look, God in his wisdom didn't come to earth in the wisdom of man. He didn't come through conventional wisdom ways. No, he came doing something that looked foolish. And he didn't come in the strength of man. No, he came doing something that looked weak. And there the cross is, looking weak and foolish, so that nobody would come to God thinking, I got there by my strength, or I got there by my wisdom. And the purpose of God in his wisdom was to subvert the wisdom and the power of man to display his wisdom in, uh, in glory in the cross. When Paul comes to the, the, the centre of, kind of Greek uh, philosophy in Athens, He's invited to come and speak um, at the Areopagus, uh, where, where these intellectuals would gather. And he's speaking, they're listening to him, and then when he talks about the resurrection, that's when they start, the, the giggle starts to happen. And again, they're like, what, what are you talking about? And yet there it is, in this foolish message that we hold, um, we have the, the glory and the wisdom of God. Now, as I say, this is the, it, the cross takes centre stage in our faith, in, uh, in the Bible, in human history, and in all creation. This is the message of our faith. This is the message of our faith. So that whilst we celebrate Easter today, if you come on any given Sunday, or you, or you touch scripture on any day, you should come away with having met with the cross. So that it is the one bullet in my gun. So if anybody comes uh, on another Sunday and like, oh, I thought he was going to be talking about marriage today. But here he is talking about the cross. I thought he was going to talk about uh, how we love one another or how we serve the poor. And there he is talking about the cross. But the fact is, all of scripture points towards Jesus and the cross. It is the center point of human history. It is the center point of our faith. So that in the New Testament, when, when when there is any talk of, okay, this is how you do your life or this is how you ought to live it is all on the basis of because Jesus has done this for you and you live in the goodness of his sacrifice and all of those things have you ever done a bible in the year uh, 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 reading 
as some people do, around kind of mid-February time, you're going to come to uh, the kind of the Levitican law, when there's all about, okay, this is what you do with the kidneys around the, and the fat around the kidneys, and, and this is what the temple should look like, and this is, and Jesus, he, he points out and says, that is all about me. That is all about what I'm going to do for you. All that sacrifice, sacrificial system, all the, the imagery and the, the, the glory around the temple and the tabernacle and the, the Ark of the Covenant and all the things that the priests are going to do and all of these things that seem like complicated and, and, and uh, I, don't, I really know, don't know what to do with them kind of rules, all of them point us to or should point us to the cross and to what Jesus did, the great high priest who was the lamb that was slain. And then in Hebrews it says, and then he sat down. It was finished. It was done. It is the centre of all we believe. In fact, actually when we come to Revelation, at the end of the Bible, uh, there, is this, there is this wonderful kind of proclamation, uh, glory to the Lamb that was slain. You know, this, this, the, the book of life, the book of life that is uh, uh, written, it's is, is referred to, the title is, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain at the foundation of the earth. So there, you think of this, there, before anything is created in the, in the mind of God and at the foundation of all things is, is God's plan that he's going to reveal himself to his people, to the universe, by allowing himself to be the sacrificed lamb. There, this, this great work that he's going to do. It is the, it is the cross. It is the, uh, the heart of what we Belief, and I, and so I'm able to stand up here and say, look, this is, this is what we proclaim: the cross of Christ. It is the solution to all the world's problems. And I don't feel like any need to shy away from that. I don't. I, I say it's, this is what all of his human history is is for. This is where we are all uh, are built. This is what all of us are are building on. It is the source of all joy. Now. As I said, it is a strange thing to celebrate for anybody looking in. And, uh, and we kind of get a realistic view of how strange that must have been uh, when we put ourselves in this story that is as it's unfolding. Right? So we, kind of, we see here, one part of what we just read is the, uh, the story of the road to Emmaus and the disciples there try, just puzzled and bewildered. What is going on? As they... As they as they're kind of walking away from Jerusalem thinking, what have I just seen? I've been following this guy. And he, he called me and I, and I followed him and, and he said, you know, right, this is what I'm, I'm going to make you. I'm going I'm to make you a follower of me. And that's how they define themselves. I, I follow Jesus. What are you doing today? I'm gonna, I'm, well, let's see what Jesus is doing. I'll go do that with him. And, and so that's what their whole identity has been towards. And so they've been following Jesus. And then suddenly, they've been, and they've been seeing him do these incredible things, these miraculous things. They enter Jerusalem, you know, Palm Sunday, with the celebration as, as the arrival of the king. And they're thinking, surely this is it. We're coming, to, we're coming to the high point now. And then he's arrested and he's killed. And, and they're just there thinking, what was all that about? What was that about? Coming away with, with heaviness and disappointment and it's sort of like a, just totally lost, what, what do I do? I was a follower of Jesus. Now, I've, where's my purpose? I, I thought I had a purpose. I thought we were going somewhere. I thought we were doing something. And they're walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I don't know what they've got planned, but they're, they're walking on. And 
as they are, Jesus meets with them. I think there's, there's something in that on its own. You know, I tell you, I don't know if you've reached that point of grief where you just, you know, someone asks these guys, they get someone asks them a question, they just stop. There's, no, there's just no energy. And you can imagine them looking at you and you're like, have you got the energy to answer this guy's question? You know, he's like asking, oh, what's been going on? What is it you're talking about? Like, I've just got, I can't even, I can't even bring myself to talk about it. That's, that's sort of the grief and disappointment that they're feeling. In that moment, Jesus meets with them. Jesus comes in alongside them as they are at the height of grief, as they're in the middle of their, their confusion. I can't, I can't begin to unpack these. And I'm beginning to hear these rumours about this. And what do I do with this? Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them. They're in no condition to look for him. But Jesus comes to them and he walks alongside them. He meets them in their confusion and their disappointment. They don't see him. They don't recognise him for who, they are, for who he is. And, yet he, and then as, as they're walking, he, he calls them slow of heart. Slow of heart. And as he walks with them, he unpacks the whole scriptures. And I imagine he, he went to Isaiah 53, this Neil read out there, and he unpacked these prophecies and said, look, don't you, can't you see? This is, this is where it was all building to. And he pointed to the fact that, hey, this was the plan from the start, right from creation. He maybe took them to the Garden of Eden where uh, as the curse of sin comes, God there says, there will be one who, who comes, of a, a child of the woman who is going to come and who will crush the head of the serpent. And he will, he, he's going to be bruised, but the serpent will be killed. And there's going, to be a, there's going to be this. And Jesus probably went right away from there. We took them right through Moses, took them through those uh, Levitical laws. He talks about the temple and the tabernacle and the, the imagery of the temple. And he talks about how there is going to be blood that's going to be shed in order for people to be rescued and ransomed. He took them probably to the, the stories of, of the Exodus. As, you know, the, uh, the, uh, wonderfully as the, the people of God are, are set free from slavery because of the blood of the lamb that was put over the, the, the threshold of the house. And he took, pointed to that, to that, that as well points to the Messiah. And then he takes them to, through the prophets and all the things that the prophets said and, and unpacks them, unpacks them, unpacks them. And, and the, the disciples, they say, as he spoke, our hearts burned within us. This wonderful image. They've been slow of heart up to this point. They've been slow of heart to believe. They've been stuck in disappointment, stuck in confusion. And Jesus sets, ignites their slow hearts and sets them on fire to be able to understand. And although they haven't seen him with their eyes, the word reveals truth and life. I tell you, I, I take that as my, my job description. <laughs> when I stand in, in a place like this or when I open the Bible, even in my own uh, time, there is a, I'm, I'm expecting my heart to be set on fire with the word of God. Uh, that's what, and that's what I, I pray comes out of these times as we together open the Bible together and look at it, that there would be an igniting of hearts. Because I tell you, we can be so slow. Our hearts can be so slow to believe. And yet, Jesus, by his word, as the word, as Neil has said, ignites our hearts to understand and to see truth. He is revealed also in the breaking of bread. You see it, he goes in with them into their home. He he makes to to walk on. But uh, hospitality, if you've ever been to the Near East or the Middle East, hospitality is king. And so there is a kind of, you you don't let that happen. You don't let a stranger walk past your house. if they've been walking with you they're invited in and there's this sort of 
uh, we've enjoyed that as we've, we've travelled, but there's a... Um, so this kind of, just culturally, that they, they invite this guy in who's been teaching them and has been uh, showing them the scriptures. Who is this guy? Well, you find him in. Don't, don't travel on at night. It's dangerous. He sits down with them and he breaks bread. And in the breaking of bread, they recognize, I've seen this before. <laughs> I've seen this before. And maybe they're taken back to a couple of days earlier when Jesus, using the Passover meal, the thing that is used to, to celebrate the, the freedom that the Jews had from slavery, that is a, a memorial to that moment. Jesus kind of hijacks it and says, this is about me. This is about me. That meal has a, has a meaning already, but he says, no, no, that meal and the story that it points to, both of them are about me. And he says, my body is broken for you. I am dying for you. Eat it to sustain you. I'm being broken to sustain you, to give you life, to give you uh, joy, to, to, uh, to, be, to be filled and to be strengthened. That's why I'm being broken. And my blood poured out for you. And as these guys watch him break bread, suddenly their eyes are open and they see, oh, Jesus, it's Jesus, it's him. This is the one whose, whose flesh will sustain us. This is the one whose blood will clean us. This is the one. This is the one. And they recognize in that moment who they are dealing with. In a moment, we're going to be breaking bread. And we're told in Scripture that um, as we do that, we proclaim the Lord's coming, uh, the Lord's death until he comes again. There is a sort of a proclamation. So as we break bread, I hope that we're going to have the similar sort of experience as we, we see again, this is the one. This is the one who has given himself for us. It is a, it is a mixture of moments as we do that. It's a somber moment as we remember, ah, oh, this, this is what was required for us to enter into the kingdom because of our sin. It required a sacrifice because we, as the, uh, the man on the cross said, we have earned for ourselves this cross. And yet there he is, willingly dying for us. And so it's a somber moment as we remember, we, this is what it cost God. And yet it is a moment of celebration as we realise. And here we are enjoying the fruit and the sustenance of the God who loves us. Who planned at the foundation of the world. This is how I will reveal myself to my people with a no-holds-barred love and a no-holds-barred gift. Not one to try to be repaid. I tell you, some Christians kind of get into this mess of thinking that, okay, now God, I've received forgiveness. Now I've got to try and kind of back pay God. Like I've got to try and work it out. I've got to show that I was, I was worthy of it. I've got to try and... And Christians get themselves tangled in all sorts of messes doing that. It is a gift, and you, you cannot and you will not repay him for it. But I tell you what, that gift does its work in you so that you become more and more and more like your Father who is in heaven. That is the work of Christ in us. Not just forgiveness, but total restoration, total new life because of him. And as we come and we break bread and we, we drink, this isn't wine. Like you went to a secret, this juice. But as we, as we break bread and drink this, we, we remember this and we see and we kind of receive grace in that way again. And then finally, we see in this story, these guys, they are moved by the grace of God having encountered Jesus to mission. 
They don't sit and enjoy, like, wow, that was amazing. Their first reaction, their first response, as soon as it's happened is, we've got to go and tell the guys. We've got to go and tell the guys what we've seen. We've got to go and tell these guys that we've met with Jesus. And they rush home. They've just walked seven miles. And they rush back that very hour to be able to tell the guys what they've seen. To be able to tell the believers who are still in Jerusalem, we have met with Jesus. That, friends, is one of the things that that should move us as Christians. When we've met with the risen Jesus, when we've seen him, when we've had our eyes open to, through the word and the breaking of bread, we are moved to take that same knowledge to the world. And Jesus says to his disciples, as we read, that you are witnesses of these things. Go now, to the beginning in Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth. Go, share what you've seen, share what you've heard from me, share this forgiveness of sins that is to be preached in my name. That's why we're here, right? I'm sure many of us would would find more comfortable places to be on a Sunday morning or more comfortable places to be full stop. But we are here in North Hull. Freedom Church exists to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and the glory of God to North Hull, to this city and to the regions beyond us. Those are the things that we've been called to. Now we, we, like, as you go through the book of Acts, you see these guys doing this very thing. In fact, this is Luke, because he's writing the story. He's, he's doing this. That's what he's doing. He's, he's writing the story so that we can hear it. and we can, we, He's saying, look, these are the things that we can, we can witness to you about. But that's why we, we're here. We're, we've been moved. We were planted from Jubilee. We you know, might have been very comfortable staying in Jubilee. But no, we planted out into North Hull because God had called us to, to be witnesses here uh, of the wonderful things that he has done. And as I say, we are part of a a much wider family that's doing that right across the world. 